0: Anna أَنَّا مُحَمَّدًا wa وَرَسُولُكُمْ <laughs> Really the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is His slave servant and his messenger. I would like to uh, begin by quickly reviewing the hadith which we took in the last meeting. Uh, Two hadith from the chapter of the Sunan Ar-Ratiba, those prayers which are normally performed along with the five congregational obligatory prayers and one hadith from the beginning of the chapter of Al Azan, the call to prayer. The first hadith hadith number fifty nine is the hadith of Abdullah Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. He said, Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alayhi wasallam, I prayed Along with the Messenger of Allah, صلى الله عليه وسلم, قبل الظهر وركعتيني بعدها two before Dhuhr and two raka after Zuhr. وركعتيني بعد الجمعة and two after the Friday congregational prayer, Salah al-Jum'a. وركعتيني بعد المغرب وركعتيني بعد الاشعه two raka after Maghrib sunset prayer and two after Al-Isha, the late night prayer. Uh, this is the hadith that the sheikh mentioned and he also mentioned two other narrations or similar reports uh, also recorded by al-Bukhari and/or and or Muslim In one of them the wording was فَأَمَّا الْمَغْرِبْ وَالْإِشَاءِ فَفِي بَيْتِهِ As for the Maghrib and Isha and in one report it said وَالْفَجْرِ وَالْجُمْعَةِ The sunset prayer, the late night prayer, the dawn prayer and the Juma prayer the sunnah prayers that he prayed with them, fasi bayti, he prayed them in his house. And this indicates the preferability or the, the commendability or the preference of praying these sunnah al that one should pray them in the home. And also another report he mentioned from Bukhari, from Abdullah ibn Umar, that he said, uh, but my sister Hafsa radiallahu anha, she reported to me, anna nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yusalli That the Messenger of Allah or the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pray two short or too light raka'ah after the break of dawn. وكانت sa'atan la أدخل aw la Wasalam, at the time that I didn't used to enter Nor did anyone used to enter The room of the Prophet In that particular hour yani In the morning at the break of dawn uh, Then we also mentioned some other narrations uh, Which indicated the, Also that it is reported authentically That the Prophet used to pray Four rakah before Zuhur And two rakah after Zuhur uh, which made, which accounted for the twelve raka'ah which the Prophet sallallahu reported that whoever prayed these twelve raka'ah in a day and a night regularly that they would have a house built for them in paradise these twelve raka'ah is two raka'ah uh, before Fajr, dawn prayer four raka'ah before Zuhr prayer two raka'ah after Zuhr prayer and two raka'ah after Maghrib prayer two raka'ah after Isha prayer uh, here the Sheikh Abdullah ibn Rahman ibn Sali Ali Bassam Hafizahullah Says that from this hadith There are a number of points derived Or from these hadith There are a number of points derived uh, One of them is that it is commendable Or recommended To attend And to perform regularly These Raka before or after the congregational prayers. Number two, that the Asr prayer, the afternoon prayer, late afternoon prayer, that there is no regular, confirmed Sunnah rakah that the Prophet always prayed along with it. Yeah, and if there are some indications of praying before Asr two or four raqa, It is authentically reported, but not that he used to perform them regularly. Number three that the sunnah prayers that are performed with the sunset and late night and the dawn and juma prayer, it is preferable that they should be prayed in the home. And number four, lightening or making short the turaka of sunnah before the dawn, Fajr prayer. Uh, and number five, uh, it has also been reported in some of authentic narrations that with the Zoha prayer there are six rak'ahs as we already mentioned, four raqa before dhuhr and two raqa after as it has been reported in the sunnah of al-Tirmidhi, the hadith of Um Habiba radiallahu anha, the wife of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and finally he said that in some, uh, that some of these sunnah prayers are performed before the obligatory prayer in order to prepare oneself to get one in the proper state of mind for the performance of the congregational prayer uh, before entering the congregational prayer, and others are performed after it in order to make up for any shortcomings that uh, one has, yeah, any, that anyone yeah, any, has fallen short in concerning the congregational or the obligatory prayer. Now, 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 there are various narrations; many of them mentioned. Two before Zohar and two after Zohar, and some of them also mention uh, four Raka before Zohar and two Raka after. I don't know if I indicated here in any of the narrations. Uh, um, after Zohar. In any case. Uh, apparently I didn't indicate here he the sheik didn't mention or the, the author of the book uh, Abdul Ghani he didn't mention any of the narrations that reported for before, before here in the text but uh, I think last week we did mention um, at least one of those hadith the hadith of Um Habiba عنها, which is reported in Sahih Muslim Uh, mentioning 12 Raka'a in the day and the night and in the narration of At-Tirmidhi from Umm Habiba she said that there were 4 Raka'a before Thor and 2 Raka'a after her this hadith is reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi in any case these are some of the narrations related to the Sunan Ar-Ratiba and this is not all of them, there are so many but these are just a few of them as we mentioned so many times this is just a summary and mqtasa of some of the hadith related to the rules or laws of worship and uh, dealings in one's life. Uh, the next hadith is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. She said, لم يكن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم على شيء من النوافل أشد منه تعاهدا على ركتي الفجر that the Prophet sallallahu didn't used to attend to more carefully and was not more consistent in any voluntary act or any voluntary prayer as he was in attending to the Turaka before the dawn fajr congregational prayer and in another narration reported here uh, in the text of the book the expression as it came in the Sahih of Muslim the Prophet sallallahu wa and this, this narration is not in Al-Bukhari uh, he said, al Fajr, khayrun min al dunya wa ma that the two raka'ah of the dawn, and yeah, before the dawn congregational prayer, that they are better than the world and whatever is in it. This hadith, the Sheikh mentions four points. One of them, that it is mustahab or commendable to perform uh, these two raka'ah, the four Fajr. And it is not and expected that any Muslim should take them lightly or leave them off. Also, number two, he said the virtues or the superiority, the great superiority of these two rak'ah before the dawn prayer, as the Prophet indicated in his words that these two rak'ah were better than the world and whatever is in it. And number three, uh, the fact that the Prophet used to stick to and attend to these two rakah more than any other of the voluntary prayers. And the fourth thing, that whoever takes them lightly and abandons them or doesn't give attention to them in spite of the fact that they are very easy to do and the reward for them is so great and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the tongue of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has encouraged the believers to perform them. This is the indication of the weakness of one's deen and the fact that a person has been prevented from a great great good. Uh, the last hadith that we took last week is hadith number sixty one, the hadith of Anas ibn Malik anhu He said, and Al wa al and in one narration in Bukhari wa an al Illa إلا al-iqama. That Bilal was commanded or ordered to make the adhan, impairs the words of the adhan to repeat them two times, uh, and to make the words of the iqama, witr or repeating them one time. And there are some exceptions to this: the repetition of the words two times or one time in the adhan and iqama. There are some exceptions, as we mentioned that are reported authentically in some of the authentic hadith. Uh, And uh, last week we didn't um, uh, perhaps make it that clear, so this week I brought uh, a handout with the words of the Adhan so that it could be more clear. What is the difference between the various manners of performing or calling the Adhan uh, as it has been authentically reported in the hadith of the Prophet. And uh, if there is one left, can someone hand me? Or maybe I'll look the original. It's, no, it's okay. Is the extra? No extra? Okay. I have the original one. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Please. Okay. Is that enough? Nice? On on the first side of the handout where it's written on the top of the page text of the Adhan and this is the Adhan that Bilal used to call or the manner in which he used to call the Adhan this is the Adhan as it was narrated in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd you can see in Arabic uh, above the words of the Adhan uh, that they are the pronunciation of Allahu Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar four times this is an exception to the repetition of the words in the adhan twice, in doubles or in pairs. Allahu Akbar is mentioned four times. And in the end of the adhan, La ilaha illallah is mentioned one time. Otherwise, everything else is mentioned twice, in doubles or in pairs. Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashadu anna Muhammad rasulullah Ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah Hayal al-Salaat, hayal al-Salaat. Hayal al-Falah, hayal al-Falah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah. So as you can see, there are actually seven expressions here. The first of them is the takbir, Allahu Akbar, which is mentioned four times. And the second of them is the shahada of la ilaha illallah, mentioned twice. The shahada of Muhammad Rasulullah, mentioned twice. Hayal al salat mentioned twice. Hayal al-Falah, mentioned twice. Allahu Akbar, mentioned twice. And la ilaha illallah, mentioned once. Which makes a total of 15 statements in the Adhan of Bilal. As opposed to 19 statements in the Adhan, according to the Hadith of Abu Mahdura. So here, uh, just for, so it's clear in front of our minds, we can see that the Adhan of Bilal contains the repetition of each statement twice, except for the beginning, the takbir twice, uh, four times in the beginning, and La ilaha illallah, the kalimat al tawheed one time in the end. On the other side of the paper, you can see the Adhan of Abu Mahdura. This, this Adhan is also reported authentically in a number, numerous reports from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and it contains 19 statements And how, what, what is the difference between them in this Adhan, the Adhan of Abu Mahdura, You can see that the Takbir is also re, 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 repeated four times uh, And in some of the narrations he mentioned the, the, the statement of Takbir only two times but in most of them, in the most authentic of them, is that it's four times in the beginning Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar then the shahadatain ash an la ilaha illa Allah, an la ilaha illa twice Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah twice as you normally, in the regular adhan, two times and two times but these pronouncements of the shahada, as it was reported in the authentic hadith of Abu Mahzura are pronounced in a low tone such that only the person who is standing next to the muezzin might, might hear the recitation of these words. Then, in a loud voice, he said again the same words of shahada, repeating each of them twice. Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, ashadu an la ilaha illallah, ashadu anna muhammad rasulullah, ashadu anna muhammad rasulullah. So that the shahadatain, each of these words, ashadu anna ilaha illallah, and ashadu anna muhammad Rasulullah," are repeated twice, but in a low tone the first time, then the voice is raised loudly. In the repetition of each of them twice, the second time. And the rest of the adhan is the same. Hayal al-Salat, Hayal al-Salat, Hayal al-Fala, Hayal al-Fala, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, and one time, La ilaha illallah. So here, if you count the statements here, the the takbir is four times, the shahadatain, each are repeated twice, and then again repeated, so that's four and four, eight, and four is twelve, and the two times Hayal al-Salat, and two times Hayal al Falah. Uh, is 16, and Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, 18, and la ilaha illallah, 19. So there are 19 words or 19 statements in this te- in this adhan of Abu Mahdura radiallahu anhu as opposed to 15 statements in the adhan of uh, Bilal as was as was reported or recorded in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd who had a dream and he reported it to the Prophet wasallam in these words and the Prophet told him to teach this event to Bilal because Bilal's voice was louder. Okay, this is uh, yani what I wanted to say here before going on to complete the uh, review. The hadith here of Anas ibn Malik, the Shaykh says about this that there are four points or three points of difference of opinion uh, concerning the uh, azan. The first of them is, is in reference to the ruling of the Adhan, is it obligatory or is it Sunnah? Is it wajib ala al-kifaya or is it Sunnah? The first opinion uh, is that it is wajib ala al-kifaya, that means as long as some of the people, as long as it's done by someone from amongst the Muslims and all the rest of the Muslims are free of blame, otherwise if it's abandoned by everyone, then it is, ya'ani, uh, the people are blameworthy and are subject to punishment for abandoning something that's obligatory. This is the opinion of Imam Ahmed, Rahimahullah, and some of the scholars from the Maliki madhab and Shafi'i madhab. Some of the scholars from the Maliki madhab and Shafi'i madhab. Whereas uh, uh, the uh, the second opinion is that it's Sunnah. This is actually the regular opinion of the Hanafi madhab and the Shafi'i madhab that it is Sunnah. The first opinion that is wajib is based on the expression found in this hadith here, the hadith of Anas, where where it is mentioned that Umira, Bilal, and Yashfa. That Bilal was ordered to make the adhan in a particular manner. That means that if he was ordered to do it, that it's obligatory according to those who hold this opinion. And they also mentioned other evidences. One of them was the hadith in Bukhari, uh, the hadith of um, Malik ibn Hawairith, and in it, it contains the words that if the time for the Salat comes, فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ Lakum Ahadukum Then one of you must call the Adhan and one of you should lead the prayer. Uh, so they said that it is wajib based on these evidences and other evidences that they produce. And the other opinion, the second opinion, those scholars who said that it is Sunnah, that it is not wajib uh, to call the Adhan. And one of the proofs that they mentioned was the fact that the adhan was not called by the Prophet during the farewell pilgrimage on arrival in Muzdalifah Uh, only the ikram was made and there's difference of opinion about this particular incident was in fact the adhan called or not and the strongest opinion is that the adhan was called as is reported in Sahih Muslim and in other books of hadith also we mentioned last week that some of the scholars who said that it's wajib they said that it's wajib on the men but not on the women and that's based on the hadith that is reported in the Sunan of Al-Bayhaqi uh, On the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar And the Shaykh says that the Isnad is Sahih And after I checked, I found that Imam al-Shawkani and Nadir al Also said that the Isnad was Sahih That is the Hadith in which it's reported That the Prophet ﷺ said لَيْسَ عَلَى النِّسَاءَ أَذَانٌ وَلَا إِقَامَةٌ That it is not obligatory for the women Not obligatory Not that it's not permissible But it's not obligatory for the women To make azan or iqama and there is difference of opinion about this hadith. Even though uh, many of the scholars said that it's sahih, but also some scholars said that this hadith is not mufroon. It is not authentically reported from the Prophet but it's mukhf on yeah, and it's reported from Abdullah Ibn Umar. In any case, there is difference of opinion about it. Some of the scholars said that it is authentically reported from the Prophet Wasallam, and some said that it's not. In any case. Uh, Ya'ani, these are the two opinions, one that it's wajib and the other that it is sunnah. And those who said it's wajib said that it's not wajib on the women to make adhan or iqamah. Uh, the second point about which there was difference of opinion is the actual wording of the adhan and iqama, which we already discussed here. Ya'ani, the difference, the main difference, there are three differences actually that the Shaykh mentions, two of them we already discussed. One of them, the difference between the Adhan of Bilal as reported in the Hadith of Abdul ibn Anhu, uh, in which there are 15 sentences or 15 statements uh, and the second manner is in which there is Tarji' A tarji means uh, the pronunciation of the Shahadatayn each of repeating them each twice in a low tone and then afterwards repeating them again twice in a loud voice so this is an additional four statements or four sentences making a total of 19 This is one of the manners in which the Adhan has authentically been been reported from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the third manner in which it was reported is that the Takbir, instead of being mentioned four times, is mentioned two times. And this is also reported authentically in Sahih Muslim and in other books of Hadith. Uh, Though some of the scholars said that the more correct narration from Abu Mahdura is not the saying of takbir two times by the saying of the takbir four times because both of these are narrated in Sahih Muslim from Abu Mahdhura that he said it four times takbir and in other narrations that he said it two times and the isnad of both of them is authentic in any case the more authentic of them is that it's four times okay here concerning this the difference of opinion uh, in the description of the adhan and iqamah uh, the first opinion is the opinion that the The Adhan should be called as it is mentioned in the Hadith of Abdul ibn Zaid as it was called in the lifetime of the Prophet by Bilal radiallahu anhu and that opinion is the opinion of the Hanafiyah and the Shafi'iyah and the majority of the scholars that this is the proper Adhan Uh, Al-Imam Ahmed also uh, held a similar opinion but his opinion was that any authentic narration from the Prophet or any description of the Adhan that is authentically reported from the Prophet is permissible though he preferred this way as was the opinion of the Hanafiyah and Shafi'iyah that he he preferred this uh, manner of calling the Adhan though he said the other ways are also permissible and one of the other ways as I mentioned is that the Takbir instead of being mentioned four times is mentioned two times and this is the opinion of Al-Imam Malik and one of the students of Abu Hanifa, Abu Yusuf Rahimullah, and some other scholars, they said that the takbir may be pronounced two times instead of four times and as I said it is authentically reported yani, in Sahih Muslim and other collections of hadith in this manner they also said as a proof for them that it should be said two times they mentioned this hadith which we are taking now, the hadith of Anas in which Bilal was commanded to make the adhan which means to say it twice they said that means the takbir also should be said twice although there are narrations that said four times but they said this hadith indicates that it should be said twice the takbir like the rest of the statements in the adhan this is also one of their proofs uh, the third uh, issue about which there is difference of opinion is in reference to tarji' those who said you can make tar- tarji' that is saying that shahadatayn uh, each of them two times in a low tone and then in a loud voice Uh, Those who approved of this or preferred it, uh, this is the opinion of the Malikiyah and the Shafi'iyah. And I checked a number of books to confirm this and also I asked some people from countries where the Shafi'i Malhab is prevalent. And some of them said that they knew about it and some of them said they didn't know about it. But at least the people from Egypt where the Shafi'i madhab is prevalent said that it is very common to make tarji' to say the Shahadatayn in a low tone and then after that to repeat it again in a loud voice. Anyway, this is the opinion of the Maliki madhab and Shafi'i madhab that it is mustahab to do so and the opinion that 's not mustahab is the opinion of the Hanafi madhab, and they said that it's not uh, that you shouldn 't do so because the hadith of Abdullah Zaid which is the most authentic hadith, and it was the practice of Bilal radiAllahu Anhu, doesn 't mention this practice, so they said that it is not mustahab to do so. okay, this is a basic summary of what we took last week, and uh, just um, I'd like to add to what we mentioned last week because it's not mentioned in, the, in this chapter the hadith concerning a tasweeb at tasweeb uh, is the saying of in the adhan of fajr it is authentically reported uh, from Abdullah ibn Umar Radiallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with him and his father. He said, Kana Sil Azan Al Awal Ba'ada Al-Salah. Ya after the saying of Hayal Al-Salat Hayal Al-Salah that in the Azan Al-Adan al-awal they used to say Al-Salatu min al Minanum. Two times, and this hadith is reported in the Sunan of Al Bayhafi, Sunan al kubra and the Sharh Maani al athar of Al Imam al-Tahawi. Uh, and Al-Hafid ibn Hajj al-Asqalani said that the isnad of this hadith is hasan. It is a good hadith. And there's another narration, actually in the Sunan of Abu Dawud, that's reported from Abu Mahdura. And it is attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he said, As salatu khayrun min an naum, as salatu khayrun min an fil In the first adhan of Fajr In the first adhan. Although it has been neglected, in these days, in our time that we are living in but in fact it was the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to have the Adhan called twice for Fajr and it was his Sunnah uh, that these words As Salatu Min al should be said in the first Adhan the Adhan before the actual break of dawn as for the second Adhan the Adhan of Bilal he didn't use to say in it As Salatu Khairum Min al this is the correct Sunnah um, as mentioned in these Hadith uh, concerning at the saying of As-Salaatu Min an in the Adhan the first Adhan which is before the actual time of the break of dawn as the scholars mentioned concerning this practice that the purpose of it uh, as has been hinted at in some of the Hadith its purpose was to remind those who are performing the night prayer that the time for Fajr is, is near so that they may either rest for a few moments in order to increase their, their any preparedness for the Fajr prayer or if anyone intended to fast in that day they would have time to take their Suhoor before the Adhan of the actual time of the dawn prayer From, this, from these hadith. The Shaykh mentions uh, one, two, three, four, five points. Number one, that it is obligatory to make the Adhan and iqama, And this is based on, yeah, I mean, there is difference of opinions. We said some said that it's obligatory, some said that it's Sunnah. He said that it's obligatory to make the Adhan and iqama based on the fact uh, that it was mentioned in the Hadith that Bilal was ordered and that the Prophet Sallallahu told Malik Ibn Hawawirif and those who are with him, his companions, that when the time for Salat comes, then one of you must call the Adhan, one of you should lead the prayer. Uh, also, second, that it is mustahab, not obligatory, but that it is mustahab to repeat the words of the adhan twice in doubles or pairs and to repeat the words of the yamah once. And here he says that, it, that to say that it is obligatory would be contradictory to the fact that there are some authentic narrations which re- are reported from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi contrary to the repetition of the adhan the, and the Yamah in this manner. So that it is, he said that it is mustahab, not obligatory. In any case, it's permissible to call the adhan or the yamah in any manner that has been authentically reported from the Prophet sallallahu Number three, that the, the Muslim is expected to give more attention to the adhan than the iqama, since the adhan is actually meant to alert the people and to bring to their mind and call to their attention that the time for the prayer is in. Whereas the iqamah is only yani, to call the people to stand up who are already present in the masjid insha'Allah and uh, four he says that the intended meaning of doubles or pairs in the adhan it means that everything should be said twice except the takbir in the beginning of the adhan which is said four times and the Kalimat al-tawheed la ilaha illallah in the end of the adhan which is said only one time otherwise everything else should be said twice and five, he says that the intended meaning of once or wither in the Iqamah making each statement one time is that everything in the Iqamah is said once except the takbir in the beginning and the end of the Iqamah which is said twice and the qad is salat, which is also in the Iqamah which is also said uh, twice. Okay, this is what we covered last week. The next hadith um, that we will take that with us today is the hadith uh, of Abu Juhayfa or Aun ibn Abi Juhayfa, from his, who reported from his father Abu Juhayfa. Anhu. This, this hadith has been reported, a long narration of it in Sahih Muslim and in Sahih al Bukhari, only a short version of it is reported in a number of different places. It is reported in this hadith, An Abi Juhayfa Wahab ibn Abdullah al as- but رضي الله عنه He said أتيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو في له حمراء من That I came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم While he was in a red leather tent قال فخرج بلال Then Bilal came out With the water for ablution Wadun, The water for ablution then there were those who tried to get that water which was left over after the Prophet made ablution, the water that was remaining, some of them tried to get some of it, uh, seeking the blessing of the water of the Prophet And some of them who didn't get any of that water, got some of the water or the moisture that was in the hands of their companions who got some of the actual water from the container that Bilal radiallahu anhu was carrying. فَخَرَجَ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَعَلَيْهِ حمراء. Then the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم came out wearing a red suit or a two-piece garment. Hullah means a two-piece garment, any kind of garment, whether it's ida and rida or something else that's in two pieces. He came out wearing this reddish uh, suit or two-piece garment and it, it is as though I am looking or I try to get a glance at his, or I was seeing actually he says كَأَنِّي أَنظُرْ إِلَىٰ ساقيه, that I was يعني, looking at the whiteness of his lower part of his leg, shank Pala, the narrator then said فَاتَّوَضَّعْ وَأَذَّنْ بلا. then he made wudu and Bilal made the adhan or called the adhan قَالَ then he said فَجَعَلْتُ أَتَتَبَّعْ Sahu, ha-huna, wa-ha-huna. Then I began to follow Bilal, watching his mouth as he was turning from here to here. Yaqoolu yaminan, wa-shimalan. Hayal al-salat, hayal al-falah. He was turning right and left, saying, Hayal al-salat, come to prayer. Hayal al-falah, come to success. Thumma rukizat lahuhu anazatun. Fata tukadama. Then the was placed in the ground as a sutra for the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and he performed the duha prayer as turaqa and in the narration of Muslim, ثم صلى al عسر Then he prayed Asr as turaqa and this expression is not found in the text of Umd al ahkam but in the narration of Sahih Muslim it, it is mentioned like this Then he said ثم لم يزل يصلي ركعتيني حتى رجع and then he continued to pray the prayers as Turaqa, meaning the 4 rakah prayer, reducing them to Turaqa until he returned from his journey, until he returned to Al-Medina. Uh, here the Shaykh mentions the general meaning of the Hadith, he said that the Prophet ﷺ has stopped in a place called Al-Abta, Al-Abta, that is the place in the upper part of Mecca. Then Bilal, after entering to the tent of the Prophet وسلم, and bringing him the water for wudu, Bilal came out of the, water from the wudu of the Prophet وسلم, and the people tried to get some of that water, يعني, seeking the blessing of the water that was used by the Messenger of Allah At that time Bilal called the Adhan and Abu Juhayfa said that I was following Bilal, watching his mouth as he was turning right and left, while he was saying, Hayal al Salat, Hayal al Falah," And he was turning right and left in order to, uh, for the people to hear him better. As these expressions particularly were an encouragement for the people to come to the prayer. Come to prayer and come to success. When he was saying these words particularly, he turned to the right and to the left. And then a spear or a short spear uh, headed stick was placed in the ground as a sutra or a protection for the Prophet so that no one may walk in front of him while he was praying that spear was stuck into the ground as a sutra for the Prophet in his prayer and he prayed the Zoha prayer as two rakah and in the narration of Muslim also the after prayer as two rakah and he continued praying the four rakah prayers as two rakah until he returned to Medina as he was a traveler From, from this hadith the shaykh mentions five points the first of them that it is legislated for the muezzin in the adhan to turn right and left at the time of saying hayalas salat al falah come to prayer and come to success and this was for the purpose of his voice reaching out to the people in every direction number two that it is legislated to shorten the four rakah prayer to two rakah when a person is in a journey number three that it is legislated to use a sutra in front of the person who is praying as the prophet sallallahu used even for the person who is in Mecca even in Mecca as some people think there is no need for a sutra in Mecca and it is allowed to walk in front of people the Prophet وسلم, was in Mecca and still he was using a sutra and number four this shows the intensity of the love of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, as they used to seek to get blessings from anything that the Prophet وسلم, used to use or any of his personal effects. Uh, and some of the scholars said that Tabarruq or seeking blessings from the effects of the scholars and the righteous by Qiyas is also permissible as it was done for the Prophet Sallallahu and the correct opinion is that it is not so that this is a, speci- a special feature or a special characteristic of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu And not for anyone else After him And finally uh, He mentions That it has been reported In some authentic hadith The prohibition For of wearing Of a man Wearing red clothing And this And one of the hadith Is reported by Al-Bukhari That the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam naha Or Mithara Al-hamr, that wearing uh, a red garment, he prohibited it. So how is it mentioned in this hadith that the Prophet wasallam was wearing a red garment, two-piece garment? Some of the scholars, such as al Imam Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, in his book Zad al-Ma'ad, he mentioned that in fact it wasn't pure a pure red garment that the Prophet ﷺ was wearing but that it was a red lined garment which had red and also some black lines in it and uh, most people or many people who thought that he was wearing a pure red, ga- red garment is mistaken how could it be when he is the one who prohibited uh, such but in fact since most of the lines of the garment were red then it was referred to as red or reddish and some of the scholars held other opinions concerning this uh, it was mentioned that some scholars said that he wore such to show the permissibility although it was discouraged or it was you know, something considered uh, uncommendable or detestable and uh, Allah knows best about this but in any case uh, it appears as though the most correct opinion is that the garment wasn't a pure red garment as the Prophet ﷺ prohibited such uh, the next hadith is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar رَبِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا May Allah be pleased with him and his father from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he said إِنَّ بِلَالًا يُؤَذِّنُوا بِلَيْلٍ That verily Bilal makes the adhan during the night أَذِّنِنْ إِبْنُ أُمِي مَقْتُوم So you should eat until Ibn أُم مَقْتُوم that is Abdullah ibn Um Maktoum رَبِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ Razi Allahu May Allah be pleased with him and Bilal. Uh, he said, "Eat until Abdullah Ibn Maktoum makes the Adhan." And Bilal calls the Adhan at night, so eat until Ibn Ummatum makes the Adhan. Here the Sheikh says concerning this Hadith uh, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi had two Adhans. Bilal Ibn Rabah Anhu and Abdullah ibn Ummattum who was blind. The Prophet had two muazzins. Mu- Bilal used to call the adhan for the fajr prayer before the actual break of dawn. And that was because the, the fajr prayer came at a time when the people are sleeping and they need the chance to prepare themselves before the actual time of the prayer. So the first event before the actual break of dawn was to give the people a chance to prepare themselves to get out of their sleep, to get out of their beds and to prepare themselves to get out of the house and go to the masjid. And the Prophet ﷺ brought this to the attention of his companions that Bilal, his event was actually during the night. Although it was close to dawn, and someone might be a little confused, they might think it was actually dawn, but in fact, so that no one would be in confusion, he told them, no, that Bilal's event is actually still during the night. It's not yet dawn, even though it might appear to some as though the dawn has broken. So he brought it to their attention and made them to know this, and he ordered them that they should think until the break, breaks, and that is at the time of the second Mu'adhan, that is the Adhan of Ibn Umm anhu because his Adhan was actually at the time of the break of dawn and this was so that the one who wanted to fast should, would have a chance before the actual break of dawn they would get a warning by the first Adhan that they may take Suhoor uh, that they may eat and drink before the actual time of the Salat as well as to bring to the attention of those who might be making the night prayer that the time for the Fajr was close and this Calling of the adhan before the actual time of the prayer is especially for salat fajr only, and it is not permissible to call the adhan before the beginning of the time of any other prayer. There is particularly a special case for the dawn prayer. Some of the scholars differed as to whether or not this first adhan before the dawn is sufficient, and that there is no need to make a second adhan or is it actually necessary to make the second Adhan at the actual break of dawn is it also a necessity of the first Adhan has been called is there a need to make another Adhan and the opinion of the Jamhur or the majority of scholars is that it is legislated to make both of them and it is a necessity to make the second Adhan which is the actual Adhan of Fajr. from this Hadith the Shaykh mentions a number of points the first of them is the permissibility of making an adhan for the fajr prayer before the actual time of dawn secondly the permissibility of having two muaddins for one masjid and that the time of the adhan of each of them should be known to the people that the first adhan of the first muaddin it should be known that his adhan is before dawn and the second muaddin which one is the one who calls the second it should be known that his Adhan is actually at the time of the break of dawn and number three also in this hadith uh, that the permissibility of having an Adhan, 'adhan, a second Mu'adhan specifically a special Mu'adhan just for the Adhan for the break of dawn also uh, in this In this hadith there is the permissibility of using a blind man to call the Adhan and that the people might accept the Adhan that is called by the blind man and accept that the actual time of the prayer is due. Either because that blind man has some means or some way to know the exact time of dawn or someone or there is someone that he relies upon to inform him as was the case of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum someone used to tell him that the dawn has broke and then he only at that time would he call the Adhan also in this hadith that it is recommended or commendable to bring to the attention of the people in a particular area uh, the fact that there, that there will be an Adhan before the time of Fajr so that when that Adhan is called the people would know what's going on they would not think that it's actually the time of Fajr before its time, perhaps if they were intending to fast, they might refrain from eating and drinking, thinking that the Adhan for Fajr has been called, and the people should know when the, when the leader of the people is going to do such a thing as have two more than, one for the first Adhan and one for the second Adhan, he should also inform the people of such so that they would know what's going on as did the Prophet And also that the people should not uh, stop eating and drinking if they intend to fast, they should not stop eating and drinking until they are certain that the dawn has broken. And they should not refrain from eat, eating before that time. As the Prophet ﷺ said in this hadith, "Fakulu washrabu, Eat and drink. And this is the command which indicates, yeah, I mean not that it's obligatory to eat and drink up until the break of dawn, the actual break of the dawn, but that it is permissible. And that the time of suhoor is not twenty minutes before dawn as some people would lead us to believe or one half an hour before the break of dawn or even ten minutes before the break of dawn but the time of suhoor extends actually up until the Adhan at the break of dawn itself anyone is allowed to eat and drink up until the actual break of dawn there is no proof for stopping uh, suhoor half an hour or twenty minutes or fifteen minutes before the break of dawn this is uh, yeah, and he contradicted in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu here when he said "Fakulu hatta ibn eat until Ibn Ummatum makes the adhan that is until the actual break of dawn uh, and in another narration that's reported in Al-Bukhari which I didn't uh, indicate here it's not on the paper but you may find it in the English translation of Bukhari in volume 1 page 362 hadith number 621 al-Minkum that no one of you should be prevented or restrained uh, from eating, meaning from eating and drinking at the time of dawn. by the adhan of Bilal adhan of B- Bilal min as suhuah i.e. Yani no one should be prevented from taking his suhoor by the adhan of Bilal aw because actually he makes the adhan or his call to the prayer is during the night before the actual break of dawn aw qa'imakum na'imakum so that he would give a chance for the person who is standing in prayer to complete their uh, tahajjid prayer and for the person who is sleeping to get up and prepare for the dawn prayer Here the sheikh. The general meaning of this hadith he says that the Prophet sallallahu had two muazzins Bilal ibn rabah radiallahu anhu and Abdul ibn maktoum radiallahu anhu who was a blind man Oh no, this is, I'm sorry. Okay, the next hadith. The hadith of, uh, the last hadith, is this hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu. He said, qaala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam iza al muazzin faqoolu misle yakool. Or in another narration, iza al if anyone hears the, the muazzin, or if anyone hears the call to the prayer, then you should repeat the words that you hear from the Muazzin or the words that are being uh, pronounced by the Muazzin. If anyone hears the call or if anyone hears the Muazzin, then they should repeat the words in Muazzin. And in this hadith uh, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu makes us to know that we should answer the call of the Muazzin by saying words similar to the words that the Muazzin is saying in the Adhan. Such that when the muezzin says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, then after he says that, the people who hear him should also repeat those words, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And when he says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, then the people who hear him after he says it, then they should repeat what they hear him saying, and so on, to the rest of the Adhan. And this is so that the reward that has passed us by, which has been achieved by the muezzin, that perhaps those who hear the ezan might, might also get some of the, that reward by repeating the words of the muazzin uh, as the Prophet sallallahu has instructed us to do uh, from this hadith the shaykh mentions four points the first of them that it is legislated to answer the muazzin by repeating the words that the muazzin says and this is by consensus or ejmaah of the scholars. Ya'ani yeah, that the person who has the adhan should repeat the words that they hear. Number two, that the person who hears the muazzin should repeat the words of the muazzin after the muazzin says those words, as is indicated in this hadith by the letter Fa. Ida Sama'atum al Mu'advin Fa kulu. Fa indicates Yaani Tartiv or order that when you hear the Mu'azzin then you should say what you hear the Mu'azzin say uh, and this has also been indicated in clear words in another hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that's reported in the Sunan of Nasa'i on the authority of Umm Salama Radiyallahu Anha the wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam she said anna Nabiya Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam kana yaqunoo kama yaqun al mu'azzin heena yaskut that the Prophet, used to say the words that the muawizin used to say when the muawizin was silent, and yani when the muawizin finished making his statement, then the Prophet, used to repeat the words of the muawizin. Number three, that a person should answer the muawizin in every condition except the person who is in the bathroom or relieving theirself. Uh, otherwise. Wherever a person may be, or whatever they may be doing, they should stop and repeat the words of the Azan, Since the words of the Azan are a dhikr or remembrance of Allah, and every dhikr has a special occasion. If the occasion for that dhikr passed you by, then uh, you have lost the opportunity to yeah, I mean, take advantage of that occasion or to repeat those words that are special for that occasion yeah, I mean, the, the zikr of adhan its occasion is when the muezzin is calling the adhan that we repeat those words if we don't do it at that time then the opportunity has passed us by so whatever a person may be doing, wherever they may be they should uh, stop and repeat the words of the muezzin and give the reward for such uh, four and finally he says that the apparent meaning of this hadith is that the person who hears the Mu'azzin should repeat the words line by line or word by word as the Mu'azzin says. Uh, That's the apparent meaning of this hadith but the majority of the scholars said that the person who hears the Adhan should repeat the words exactly as the Mu'azzin says except when the Mu'azzin says Hayal al salat Hayal al-Falah after those words the person should repeat the words la hawla wa la illa billah that there is no power or strength except with Allah or except from Allah and some of the scholars explain the meaning of the statement la hawla wa la illa billah that these that two words though they are similar in meaning but they are different that hawla uh, it means that a person relies or depends on someone or something else and kuwata means that a person has the ability so that the meaning here of la hawla wa la is that we have no ability of our own nor do we have anyone that we can rely upon or that we can turn to to seek help in answering the call of the muazzin and performing the prayer we have no one that we can rely upon to help us to answer to give us the ability to answer nor do we have any ability within ourselves to do so except the only power and the only one that we may rely on is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And other scholars explained it differently. In any case, the general meaning here is, is it is an acknowledgement that when the muezzin calls us to prayer and he says, al salat, Hayal al-falah, we want to respond and we acknowledge that we have no one that we can rely upon and we have no power or strength of our own to answer that call and to go to the prayer except that Allah helps us and Allah gives us the ability or the strength to answer uh, These words have been reported authentically in a number of books of hadith from amongst them Al-Bukhari uh, and also in Muslim on the authority of Umar ibn al-Khattab may Allah be pleased with him is reported in the English translation of Sahih Muslim volume 1 page 210 hadith number seven four eight. 4-8 that uh, the Prophet وسلم, said when the Mu'addin says, Hayal al Hayal al Hayal al-falah,' that you should say, La hawla wa la illa billah, after hearing such words. And finally, uh, the Shaykh mentions here one point of benefit: uh, a hadith that wasn't reported by the author of Umdat Al-Ahkam, a hadith, and there are a number of hadith actually, that we should mention here, but anyway, he mentions one of them, the hadith, reported by Al-Bukhari, Rahimahullah, in his Sahih, on the authority of Jabir, Ibn Abdullah, radiyallahu Anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, and Rasulullah Sallallahu wa Wasallam said, من قال حين that whoever says, when they hear the adhan or the call to prayer, whoever says, Allahumma rabba ha'adhihi daawat il-tama wa al qaima ha'ati Muhammadan al-wasilah wal al-fadila wa ba'at maqaman mahmud al-ladi wa'attahu halat lahu shafati yom al-qiyamah. That whoever hears the adhan and after hearing the adhan makes this supplication or this dua اللهم رب هذه الدعوة التامة والصلاة القائمة Oh Allah the Lord of this perfect call الدعوة التامة It is an invitation, a perfect invitation for the call to prayer and the call to success al القائمة and this present prayer that is due upon us آتي Muhammad, then give to Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم three things Wal uh, والفضيلة and also, وَبَعَثُهُ مَخَامًا مَحْمُودُ الَّذِي وَعَدْتَهُ يعني الوصيلة has been reported in another hadith the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم says that الوصيلة that it is a منزلة في الجنة it is a place or a station or a status in paradise لا تنبغي إلا لعبد من عباد الله it is not the right or it will not be for anyone except one of the servants of Allah وَأَرْجُوا أَنَا كُونُ أَنَا هُوَ and I hope that I will be that one these are the words of the Prophet He hopes that he will be that one Insha'Allah he will definitely be that one So we hope that uh, we should make this supplication that Allah will give Al-Wasila or this special status or position in paradise to our Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and also Al-Fadila an, or the excellence and also that he would be raised up in a maqam, mahmud, a praiseworthy position or status which has been promised to him Well we make such a supplication then they would have earned or achieved the shafa'ah or the intercession of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And there are a number of other supplications also uh, that are narrated in hadith. This one here is mentioned by the shaykh and this is the end of what he says concerning this. Uh, Since there is some time left insha'Allah, we will take any comments or questions and uh, Corrections. Subhanakallah, we have to say that we have to say there we have to questions? that comments? Or any corrections? Now, what is the? Excuse me. What is behind? Yeah. Why did they stop it? <laughs> well, it is, uh, you can answer this question as well as I can. <laughs> why, why the people, why the practice of calling the Adhan twice? Once before the break of dawn and once at the time of dawn. Why this practice has been abandoned? Uh, I suspect that it has been abandoned for the same reason that so many other sunnah have been abandoned. How many sunnahs of the Prophet ﷺ have been abandoned? There are probably hundreds or thousands of sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that have been abandoned. This is only one of them. The exact reason why it's been abandoned, I cannot say. But one of the general reasons for the sunnah being abandoned is the taking on of the people of bid'ah. Some of the scholars of the Salaf, of the Sahaba and Tabi'een, they said that every time people practice a bid'ah, a sunnah is abandoned. Hassan ibn Atiyah one of the great tabi'een, he said every time the people took a bid'ah, a sunnah was abandoned. So we can see that this is a general rule, that whenever people start to practice innovations, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ will gradually be abandoned in place of the innovations. So this is a general rule. As for this particular sunnah, why is it abandoned? And we can only guess, and our, my guess is as good as yours. <laughs> Perhaps it is the laziness of the mu'adhan to get up early to call the first adhan. Who will do it? It means that someone, it's hard enough for anyone to get up for the time of fajr. Maybe it's, we cannot find people to get up and call the adhan before fajr. Actually, the adhan before fajr is still done in some places in some of the Muslim countries. Uh, at, at least I know in Medina, the first adhan is called for fajr. We used to hear it every day. So it is still practiced somewhere, but it is not practiced in most places. It has been abandoned in most places. (laughs) And also we should ourselves, every one of these sunnahs, that we are able to re-establish, revise. We should revise it. Whoever revised a sunnah has a great reward. What is the reward of the person who revised the sunnah? The reward of the person who revised the sunnah is that every person who practice that sunnah after them, that you will get the reward of that person and everyone who follows them in it. Isn't this a great reward that if we re-establish a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, then everyone who does it after that, inshallah, all of their reward, we will also get every reward to them what they have done. And also this is a manner of earning the pleasure of Allah and the reward of Allah that a person reestablished the lost practices that have been abandoned from the Prophet ﷺ. Now, in that case, in that case, every sunnah that has been abandoned due to ignorance, the people will think that you are making innovation if you try to implement it. Therefore, the proper thing to do is to first educate the people. Gradually, first the importance of sunnah, the importance of sunnah in general. Make the people to love the Prophet ﷺ by studying his seerah, his life, and studying his sunnah. Make the people love the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and know its importance and the reward for practicing it. Then, after they start to love the sunnah, and know the importance of sunnah, then gradually you might mention to them some of these sunnahs that have been abandoned and they would themselves be inclined to practice it once they start to love the sunnah and know how important the sunnah is. But don't first tell them, do this or do that or start doing it without the people knowing. But first try to get the people attached to the sunnah and understanding the importance of sunnah and the dangers of bid'ah. Then teach them some of these sunnahs. First, inform them about it, teach them about it, show it to them, before practicing it. Don't practice it and then argue with them about it. But first teach them so that they are aware of it. Then when you do it, it will not be strange to them. And whoever knows about something before it happens, naturally finds it easier to accept. When you are caught by surprise by something you are unaware of, it's difficult, it's shocking. But when you have a forewarning, when somebody told you, Tomorrow the water is going to be cut off from seven o'clock in the morning until noon. Okay, you have a chance to prepare for it psychologically, it's not so difficult. But if you wake up in the morning for Fajr, and there's no water in your house, it's shocking, it's difficult, it's a hardship on you. And so also psychologically, when you bring something to someone that's completely foreign and strange to them, and unknown to them, it's difficult for them to accept it. Uh. I, I am not aware uh, the after the Adhan? Mm. As, far as, as far as what we found in the books of Hadith and in the books of Fiqh especially those books of Fiqh where the scholars gave attention to narrating authentic Hadith Um, such as the Majmu'ah of al-Imam al Nawawi, even though he is a Shafi'i scholar in his book he gave attention to narrating authentic Hadith and clarifying those practices which are based on weak Hadith as also we found in the Maliki Madhab Ibn Abdul Bar and his explanation of the of Imam Malik he gave attention to identifying the authentic narrations and clarifying those which are weak therefore sifting out those practices which don't have a legitimate basis and we can find in every madhab such books such as the uh, uh, of the latest scholars the book of al-imam al shaukani which he mentions uh, so many of the reports of hadith concerning every matter of these points of fiqh in salat and tahara and then everything that you want to uh, study concerning the ahkam or rules of laws. he wrote not only the narrations of the book of hadith that he was explaining, but also extra narrations and discuss the authenticity of those hadith. In such books, I myself didn't see uh, a, a hadith reported like this. Although there may be such a hadith, but we have to, if we can find such a hadith, then we have to confirm its authenticity. It is unlikely that it is authentic. But if anyone can find it, then uh, try so that we may look into it to see if there is such uh, a practice but what we found in the well-known books of hadith in the well-known books and that doesn't mean that there is no authentic hadith outside of those books but what if you look in the book of Adhan and in Al-Bukhari and in Muslim and in Abu Dawood and At-Tirmidhi you will not find uh, any such statement as uh, Nam. And there are also so many thousand ayats in the Qur'an also that we may mention after the Adhan, if we just want to uh, say whatever we want to that say. The meaning. the meaning that you do not uh, break your promise. And after the Adhan someone says, and they are saying, Oh Allah, you do not break your promise. So we expect you to keep your promise, which you have promised. us." <laughs> we in between the and the in any case the important thing this, this topic of bid'ah and the rules concerning it uh, is a very important topic that we have to look at ma'am so <laughs> <laughs> okay, then that now there are many hadiths <laughs> of so, that So raise him up to the station of honor which you have promised him. Then the people add it to it and you do not break your promise. Okay, in that case, uh, can someone take this, uh, the sisters are passing uh, some papers here. Okay, we got it. Uh, okay. Jazakallah khair. The important thing, uh, brothers, to keep in mind what? That if, if there is some statement that is a true statement and it seems to be appropriate and fitting, at any time of supplication, at any time of supplication after the Adhan, after iqama, in the Salat or any other time the important thing, even though it may be a truthful statement and it may be an appropriate statement, the important thing to know is it really from the Sunnah? if it's not reported authentically in the Sunnah then it's better to avoid it because the, the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is sufficient for us Now, yes